This week on Roundtable, we're diving into the Nathan Fletcher scandal. The county supervisor is accused of sexual harassment and assault from a former colleague. I think people want to know, were these consensual interactions, as Nathan Fletcher said, or, or, or not? Our panel of journalists are discussing the allegations that Fletcher denies. The simple factual narrative that Ms. Figaro lays out, if that that proves to be accurate, it certainly reads to me to be a potential crime. And we're looking into what are the options with Fletcher's supervisor's seat after he says he's quitting in May. One is to call for a special election that could potentially cost millions of dollars. The other course of action they could pursue is an appointment process. That's just ahead on this week's edition of KPBS Roundtable. KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego Osher Lifelong Learning Institute, hosting an open house to learn about the upcoming classes and seminars, member benefits, and meet the volunteer leadership team. Saturday, March 30th. Registration at extendedstudies.ucsd.edu slash O-L-L-I. Welcome to KPBS Roundtable. I'm Matt Hoffman. One of San Diego's top politicians is on his way out. County Supervisor Nathan Fletcher is accused of sexual harassment and assault, and the story is still unraveling. At least one other woman has come forward also claiming harassment. Fletcher denies these allegations, but the fallout from the scandal is growing, with Fletcher announcing his resignation in May, while calls for his immediate resignation are continuing. A new independent investigation was announced this week, but many questions still remain about who knew what and when. It's quite the fall from grace. Fletcher was a former chair of the Board of Supervisors and was widely credited for his leadership during the pandemic and county investments in mental health services. Joining us to dive into this developing story are Priya Shreeder, she's NBC7's political reporter and host of Politically Speaking. Michael Smolens is back with us. He's the political columnist with the San Diego Union-Tribune. And Voice of San Diego's managing editor, Andrew Keats, is here with us. I want to welcome you all here to Roundtable. You know, all this drama and scandal, it's unfolded in less than two weeks. Priya, let's start with the accusations that led to Fletcher ultimately saying he's quitting the Board of Supervisors in May. We understand that they come from a former Metropolitan Transit System employee. That's Gracia Figueroa. And keep in mind, Fletcher did chair MTS's board. What is she saying that Fletcher did? Yeah, so she essentially is saying that uh, Fletcher started looking at her Instagram stories. However, he was not following her. So she says that he was sort of lurking in the background. And she was unclear at the time if it was actually Fletcher himself or perhaps one of his staffers that was operating his Instagram uh, that those interactions slowly escalated to him actually DMing her, direct messaging her on Instagram. It started out with just sort of normal conversations, but then it escalated to the point where he started inviting her to his hotel when uh, his wife and kids were out of town. Of course, he was staying in a hotel at the time because of the fire that had occurred in his home. Um, Figueroa did, in fact, go to that hotel and have a beer with him in the stairwell. And then, according to the law, lawsuit, he forcibly kissed her. Those interactions escalated once again um, at in a conference room of the MTS building after a board meeting where he allegedly grabbed her, um, obviously unwillingly, according to her, and uh, sexually assaulted her. There was also one more sexual assault 
Their interactions ended in January of this year, but she, according to the lawsuit, had conveyed to him that she felt uncomfortable, that she felt like people at MTS knew about what was going on. And she was uh, afraid, is what it says in the lawsuit, to basically go and report any of this to anyone just because of how powerful he was. So all of this led in her termination in early February on, ironically, the exact same day that Fletcher announced his candidacy for state Senate. So she believes that he was somehow involved in her wrongful termination. MTS, of course, is denying any of that. They said they were never aware of any of this until the lawsuit was filed and that Fletcher or any MTS board member had nothing to do with what was going on. And so that's what she's saying. What is Fletcher saying about these allegations? So what's interesting, as we probably all know by now, is that Fletcher announced that he was ending his state Senate bid and checking himself into an in-treatment uh, facility for alcohol abuse, trauma, and PTSD. That was three days before the lawsuit became public. So that same day that it, it kind of appeared and, and we all could see it, the lawsuit, in the morning, he sort of tried to get in front of it and released a statement that said he did have, quote unquote, consensual interactions with Miss Figueroa but he was denying the allegations that were listed in the lawsuit. Um, it also says in the lawsuit that Figueroa's attorneys and Fletcher's attorneys tried to have a pre-litigation settlement that essentially didn't end up anywhere, and that Fletcher and Lorena Gonzalez, his wife, uh, were attempting to accuse Figueroa of extortion if she pursued any of these legal claims. Um, and Basically, it things escalated that same day that the lawsuit became public. Ultimately, he resigned uh, from the chair of the board of MTS. And then that night, um, just before 11 p.m., he resigned from the county board of supervisors. However, that's effective May 15th at the end of his medical leave of absence um, from this inpatient treatment facility. And now we're hearing more and more calls from political leaders on both sides of the aisle um, who are saying that he should actually resign immediately and we shouldn't be waiting until May 15th. And we'll get into all that here. But Michael and Andy, you guys both also read this lawsuit and the responses from Fletcher about these allegations. What stood out to you all so far? Well, a lot. Uh, Pira hit on so many things. Um, you know, one, obviously, just the, the brazenness or alleged brazenness of this, uh, you know, that whole notion that he you know, basically took her into a conference room right after a meeting. Uh, you know, it, it's almost hard to believe somebody didn't see that, but who knows what the circumstances were. But also, the other thing that jumped out were about these negotiations, uh, the, you know, a pre-litigation settlement potentially and the accusations of that, that they were, um, you know, that she was trying to extort them or, or, you know, I think Fletcher said that they were trying to get millions of dollars from his family uh, and Lorena Gonzalez's involvement. I mean, you know, clearly they were trying to keep this under wraps and there's a lot of questions about that for both of them. So those were the sort of the, the key things. One other aspect, though, uh, you know, there, there's this insinuation that other people knew, and I think we're finding out, obviously, that some MTS officials did, but like other board members, uh, you know, that to me sort of seemed a little bit of the the, the weak part of the suit. I mean, uh, the attorney for Figueroa suggested that, you know, Sean Elo Rivera, the city council member in San Diego and one of the board members, looked at her in certain ways and, and should have seen uh, Nathan Fletcher texting him. You know, that's just sort of a, a little bit vague. And there were some similar claims about that. Hopefully this will all come out uh, at some point as to what really happened. What I would say stands out to me is uh, Fletcher's defense that these were consensual interactions. I, I think 
given his position on the board and her role as an employee and 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 I, I would stress really the type of role that she was in in that organization she was in a public relations role uh which is a role that as reporters we are familiar with often with agency officials she would be working directly with him as a board member often uh off and in public um the idea that these uh, interactions could have been consensual and appropriate it's harder it's harder and harder the more i think of it for me to imagine a way that this would have been okay even if she was okay with it uh just given his his role in the organization um whether they could have consented i mean his defense that he was not in control of her employment and therefore couldn't have uh, been responsible for terminating her uh, maybe that stands up in a strict sense uh legally speaking I, I don't know i'm not an employment attorney um but it seems very obvious that he had a role of authority over her employment as the board chair uh in a way that that is significant even if she was uh, a, a willing participant in in these interactions whatever they were the other thing that stands out to me is is what we're learning in you know just it, it's been a week and a half since this all started and we're getting more and more information uh for instance mts last week released a statement saying that they had no specific knowledge of these allegations until the lawsuit was filed uh or a few days before and um we already know that that is it uh, seems like maybe at best a very carefully crafted claim uh, because there was a letter sent to the agency in mid-February uh, I believe it was mid-February or maybe it was late February but but earlier that um that that said that there was going to be a lawsuit that there was going to be that it was going to claim sexual harassment that it was going to claim sexual assault that it was going to claim wrongful termination and discrimination and you know okay so did they does does that mean it's strictly true that they didn't know the specifics maybe but they knew quite a bit and that information was not shared with the rest of the board is my understanding so plenty of information was available to them long before it was available to the public and i don't know that they were especially forthcoming with that last week um all of which raises the questions about what other things they have not been totally forthcoming about this whole saga has caught many people off guard here, but just days before the sexual harassment and assault lawsuit was filed, there was another sort of surprising announcement here. Fletcher said he was dropping his state Senate bid and checking into treatment center for post-traumatic stress and alcohol abuse. Priya mentioned this a little bit earlier. And again, that was just a couple days before this lawsuit dropped. Michael, looking back at that now, what do you make of that initial move? Well, I think everybody that heard about that Sunday night, the first thing they thought about Okay, what happened? And you know, there, there quickly was the, the thinking. Okay, is there some other shoe going to drop? This just seemed so out of the blue. Um, you know, having said that, we people didn't know, we didn't know, and you have to take things at face value, despite your suspicions. And you know, PTSD, alcohol abuse, these are serious matters, and and you don't want to take them lightly or question them. Uh, you know. People were encouraging after hearing that. Uh, supporters came out and thought it took courage for Nathan Fletcher to do this. But then when the shoe did drop and the lawsuit surfaced, you know, I'm not saying that he doesn't have these issues and needs treatment, but it certainly cast uh, some suspicion on the motivations to, to, to do that. We've seen this before, um, whether people are disingenuous or not, you know, claiming alcohol abuse or, or PTSD. Uh, prior to some bad news coming. Uh, so 
You know, I mean, I actually I wrote a column that appeared Wednesday morning and was quickly out of date uh, because the lawsuit, you know, became public uh, shortly thereafter. But, you know, I just felt that we had he was one of the most prominent politicians in town. And suddenly he was, uh, you know, dropping out of the state Senate bid and so forth. And I just felt that that, uh, there needed to be some you know, analysis of that for what we knew. But that whole time, I and others thought something else coming and surely it did. And Priya, we know that you've been reaching out to a lot of local politicians about this, many of whom who have closely worked with Fletcher. What was their reaction when he announced that, you know, he was seeking treatment for alcohol abuse and his mental health versus shortly after being accused of sexual assault? Yeah, so I think in those initial stages when all the information that was out there was that he was seeking help, um, a lot of politicians, uh, Joel Anderson, Scott Peters, said that they were extremely supportive of him and he was doing the right thing. Um, However, a few days later when the lawsuit came out, I mean, it was radio silence (laughs) from everybody. I tried reaching out to everyone and nobody wanted to go near this story with a 10-foot pole. So it was extremely difficult um, and also a little bit frustrating. And so it seemed honestly as though everyone was sort of waiting for somebody to take that first step and speak publicly. And then once that happened, then maybe they could feel more comfortable to uh, craft a position of their own as well. And I think that really speaks to the fact that Nathan Fletcher and Lorena Gonzalez are a political power couple, as we've been talking about. And they have so many close connections to so many Democrats in the region and across the state of California. So people didn't want to, quote unquote, uh, you know, jump to assumptions. They were trying to say, oh, well, these are allegations. However, However, you know, there was a lot of hypocrisy that was pointed out, you know, that a lot of these people had in the past said, oh, you know, we always need to believe um, sexual assault victims, that we should encourage them to come forward. So I think there was a lot of frustration amongst people, uh, just, you know, residents of San Diego wondering why all of a sudden is everyone silent about this? Uh, I think if you go back to those first three days, it, it's really remarkable to try to put yourself in their mindset and think what what they thought may have been able to happen. I mean, the idea of putting that statement out Sunday night when we know, now know that just hours earlier in that very day, they were in negotiations with the lawyers for Ms. Figueroa to attempt to, to settle it. Um, so they knew this was out there, and I can't see any way for them to have thought that the statement maybe was a last-ditch effort, a bluff maybe, to see if they could discourage her from coming forward still? Or I I don't know what else. I don't know what other way to interpret it, because he doesn't say on that Sunday night that the reason all of this is coming forward, which, you know, he may have all of these conditions, but the, the precipitating event here is the allegations coming forward from Ms. Figueroa. So, to think that that wasn't eventually going to come forward and that you may be able to find a way to drop your state Senate bid, but not the county supervisor seat and that you'd be able to what, I don't know, hang on to that seat just by sheer force of will. Um, you know, we have seen officials who just don't resign. Kevin DeLeon just, just, you know, was cloud of scandal and he just kept his head down and refused to go. And, you know, sooner or later, I guess people move on. And I, and I think there was an, a belief in early on that they might be able to white knuckle this thing and might be able uh, to to stay in office and, and re- keep uh, his political career alive. You know, a week later, that seems 
wild. I mean, it seems crazy to think that that could, that would have been possible, but clearly they gave it a go. And, and so I think that the silence in those early days from officials is reflective of that. They, they thought there might have been a way to get through this without basically ending his political career. And Andy, quickly, do we know if there could be any other legal ramifications here? Like I'm talking about like the district attorney or police maybe saying that there could be a criminal case. Yeah, I mean, the the, the simple factual narrative that, that Ms. Figaro lays out, if that, if that proves to be accurate, it certainly reads to me to be the, the potential crime. Um, I did ask the district attorney's office and the SDPD um, if they had an investigation into this, and they said they do not have a case right now. That doesn't mean that they certainly will in the future. You know, I don't think there was an implication there of anything like that. Um, but so but as we sit here today, no, the answer is no to that. But who knows how that goes in the future. We'd like to hear your thoughts on the latest news involving the allegations against Nathan Fletcher. Give us a call at 619-452-0228. You can leave us a message or you can also email us at roundtable at kpbs.org. Here's a comment from one of our audience members, Ron Bankston. He says, This sad story underscores just how important it is for public officials to avoid even the appearance of wrongdoing. You're listening to KPBS Roundtable. Stick with us. Our discussion continues just after the break. KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu. Welcome back to KPBS Roundtable. I'm Matt Hoffman. This week, we're discussing the latest story involving sexual assault and harassment allegations against Supervisor Nathan Fletcher. Our guests are Priya Shreether from NBC7, Voice of San Diego's Andy Keats, and the San Diego Union-Tribune's Michael Smolens. And Michael, we know that Fletcher is married to Lorena Gonzalez Fletcher. It was brought up a little bit earlier. She's another local big political name who was in the state legislature, now leads one of the state's largest unions. Have we heard from her at all here? Sort of indirectly. Um, I did a column focusing on her uh, that, that appeared this morning, and I reached out to her to interview her. She texted me back uh, you know, in a very sort of nice way, thanks for reaching out, but basically said you know, she – doesn't want to talk about it, can't talk about it. She's focused on her work and her, you know, her combined five children, as she put it. But then, frankly, the, you know, the, the most interesting thing was, uh, you know, she said that this is his situation, not mine. Uh, so for that was one of the more interesting no comments I've ever gotten. Uh, she seems to be trying to get some distance from the scandal. How much she's able to do that, uh, I don't know, because we talked about how the, at least uh, Ms. Vigoroa's attorney uh, sort of identified her as party to these negotiations and, um, you know, pretty tough action or, or intimidation, I think, in his view towards Figueroa to keep her silent. Again, it's it, a little indirect. He talked about their attorney. So and, and uh, uh, Lorena Gonzalez Fletcher in that quick text to me said that she's never spoken with the woman or her attorney. Uh, so we'll, we'll have to see. And on Thursday, MTS officials, they had some more to say about these allegations. Priya, it sounds like that they're committing to launching an independent investigation here. Do we have any idea of how long that could take or what exactly it's looking at here? 
No, I don't know exactly how long it's going to take. But initially, you know, MTS was saying that they were going to look into this matter. And they I think Andy was the one who was really reporting on this extensively. Um, they were basically trying to say that they were going to use it with their or, sorry, look into it with the own their own legal counsel, which I mean, everyone knows that you can't investigate something internally with your own resources. I mean, how is that an independent investigation? So that was sort of when acting chair Stephen Whitburn said that, you know, there are independent investigation needs to be conducted. And it is extremely unclear, as Andy also mentioned, what the MTS board members knew and when, um, because that 13-page document from Figueroa's lawyer that was sent to MTS in on February 17th, so this was about five or six weeks before the lawsuit was filed, in there it lists 17 MTS employees whose communications should be frozen. And basically, the lawyers were trying to say that we need to preserve this evidence, and it even outlined what legal claims they might likely pursue. So the fact that nobody at MTS knew about the allegations seems extremely unlikely after seeing that 13-page document. However, the board members are maintaining that none of that was ever communicated to them. So, you know, we tried to ask a lot of questions. Um, I think another important thing to note is this is a small town, as we all know. People talk. I mean, a lot of the board members are friends with the executive management team of MTS. And so, especially if something like communications were asked to be preserved, you would think that people might start asking questions about why that is. And so, I, I think there's there's just so many questions that are unanswered right now. And that's hopefully what the independent investigation will uh, give us some answers. And, and they say they're going to make those findings public. In addition to this allegation, another has surfaced, this one from several years back. Priya, in short, what did NBC7 uncover there? And what's Fletcher saying about that? So basically, you know, as often happens in cases like this, once one accuser comes forward, then oftentimes that can sort of give confidence to other people who perhaps were staying silent for several years. So this isn't unusual in cases like this. Basically, it was a girl who was a student at UCSD and she was interning for a basically a military veteran nonprofit that Nathan Fletcher was the head of. And they had gone on a trip in 2015 when she was 19 years old to Minnesota to uh, basically raise money for his nonprofit. Um, and she claims that he inappropriately touched her when they were taking a group picture that he basically put her hands on her butt and that there was a few different occasions where he sort of got extremely close to her in a dining booth. Um, he also allegedly sent her text messages to come to his hotel room and give her a massage, give him a massage, sorry. And then the next day she claims that um, they ran into each other in front of the elevator in the hotel. And he basically snatched her phone and told her to delete all of the text message communications between the two of them. When we reached out to Fletcher's camp for comment about these accusations, they produced an email from 2015 uh, between Nathan Fletcher and someone who was working at the nonprofit who was also on that Minnesota trip. And essentially this woman is saying, hey, you know, there are some accusations being made by our intern, Amanda. I'm thinking that, you know, maybe she shouldn't work here anymore um, because obviously these accusations are unfounded. And Nathan Fletcher writes back, okay, good to know. That's super surprising to me. So yeah, they were able to produce this email and they basically say that uh, this person's just trying to feed into the quote unquote media frenzy and that none of this happens. So they're, they're basically um, denying all of those allegations as well. 
Nathan Fletcher is not the first San Diego politician to be caught up in a scandal or alleged improper conduct. Here's what San Diego Mesa College political science professor Carl Luna had to say. There tends to be a view that San Diego is this like little Iowa on the Pacific Ocean. It's just a nice little quiet place. We have a ridiculously large number of scandals, and that's a sign that people are not holding people accountable. Michael, in a recent column, you wrote about some of the parallels between recent allegations against Fletcher with some other San Diego politicians. We're talking about like former San Diego mayor Bob Filner from a decade ago. Why do you feel it was important to connect these political scandals here? One of the f- first things to come to mind after thinking, okay, what what's uh, really happening here with this specific thing is that we've been through this before to a degree, and um, you know, I just thought it was it would be interesting to to take readers back to you know the, the Filner situation and look at the similarities, but also very very importantly, I pointed out uh, many more differences. Frankly, I mean, you know, in going back, Filner hung out in office for six weeks before he you know agreed to resign. There was all sorts of maneuvering to get him to that stage. He was really resistant. Uh, you know, Fletcher, as we know, re- resigned almost you know immediately once it was clear that which way things were going. But when I mentioned the six weeks, boy, it seemed like a lifetime. Uh, six weeks seems short, having lived through that and just the constant daily uh, turn of events with Filner. You know, one of the similarities we've talked about Lorena Gonzalez Fletcher. Well, back then she was head of the um, San Diego Imperial County's L- Labor Council a big political force, and she was very instrumental in getting, uh, helping Bob Filner get elected, as did other labor organizations and Democrats. But she, you know, was a real power then. She had a similar role in getting um, Nathan Fletcher uh, elected Board of Supervisors. I mean, she is a, a prolific fundraiser and uh, has a lot of political strength and savvy. One of the other parallels was she was really the f- sort of the first one that came out and suggested they resign. Um, she was the first elected official to come out and, you know, call on Filner to resign, despite having helped elect him. And she, you know, talked about that Nathan Fletcher resigned after she had asked him to. Now, maybe there were others calling for his resignation or that Nathan Fletcher announced he would resign uh, after she asked him to. But like I said, there are a lot of differences. Um, there were, mul- you know, I think some 20 women came forward uh, to accuse Bob Filner of um, uh, inappropriate behavior, touching, harassment, assault. Um, we haven't seen that as yet, anyway, uh, of Nathan Fletcher. But I just thought, you know, it, it, decades not a long history, but to, to kind of remind people that we've been here before and what were the differences and similarities. Fletcher cruised to re-election in the 4th Supervisor's District. He was also a leading contender to replace Tony Atkins in the state Senate before all this happened. So there were definitely a lot of San Diegans that supported him. We received this comment from one of our audience members, Donna Shansky. It's really heartbreaking. He's a young, vibrant, smart, caring politician who did a lot for the citizens of San Diego County. Question for anyone who wants to jump in here. How does this scandal weigh with some of the legislative accomplishments that Fletcher might have had, as this listener pointed out? You know, uh, some people have pointed out that he's moved our region to more progressive policies, but how does that weigh with some of these allegations? Hey, you got to separate the art from the artist, man. Uh, you know, he, uh, he he either did what uh, what Ms. Figueroa said he did or he didn't. And uh, his poli- the, the policies that you may agree with or disagree with really stand apart from that. Uh, I, you know, I think um, to, to Michael's earlier point about what happened with Bob Filner 10 years ago, um, I think there were a lot of people who were willing to go down the ship with Bob Filner back back then. And there were a lot of uh, 
interesting to uh, bizarre arguments offered to his benefit because mostly they agreed with his politics and they saw him as somebody who was changing the direction of the, of San Diego that had been in a more conservative place before and that he was going to take it in a more progressive direction. And there's a lot of that that's true with Nathan Fletcher as well. Uh, the County Board of Supervisors before he was elected had been run by uh, five Republicans for 20 years. Uh, he was elected and then in quick succession, two other Democrats were elected. He became the board chair and they started really remaking that government. So sure, um, you know, people who agree with that direction are going to be uh, uh, unhappy to see how things have gone. Um, but, you know, the other thing that changed in the 10 years since Bob Filner was an entire Me Too movement that um, I think has caused a lot of people to reassess the way they viewed a lot of people who they liked, whether they were musicians or comedians or other politicians, uh, actors, directors, whatever. If you have any thoughts on the allegations against Nathan Fletcher, you can give us a call at 619-452-0228. You can leave us a voicemail there, or you can email us at roundtable at kpbs.org. Ellie Dotseth had this to say, It saddens me. I believe his policy-making decisions and leadership were very good for our county. It's awful if the allegations are true. After the break, we're taking a look at the shakeup in San Diego politics following Fletcher's decision to step down. You're listening to KPBS Roundtable. You're listening to KPBS Roundtable. We're back discussing the latest developments in the sexual assault and harassment allegations against Nathan Fletcher. Our guests are NBC7's Priya Shreeder, Michael Smolens from the San Diego Union-Tribune, and Voice of San Diego's Andy Keats. With Fletcher's resignation from his county board seat on May 15th, that would leave the board with split power, two Republicans and two Democrats remaining. Priya, what can you tell us about the process to fill Fletcher's fourth district seat? There's basically two courses of action that they could pursue. One is to call for a special election that could potentially cost millions of dollars. They could try to coincide that special election with a regularly scheduled statewide election. So that probably couldn't happen until perhaps November. Um, The other course of action they could pursue is an appointment process. So uh, what that entails is if anyone out there is listening uh, and you're interested in being a San Diego County board supervisor, you would have to write two 500 word essays, one describing what your qualifications are for the job and the second one uh, discussing why you want the job. And then you give an oral presentation and depending on how many candidates there are, there would be two separate public hearings and the county supervisors would have to vote on who they would like to fill that seat for the rest of Fletcher's term, which is set to end in 2027. However, given the fact, as Andy just discussed, that uh, the county board is now split 50-50. And, you know, as he said, it only went to a Democratic majority back in 2020. So this was a relatively new thing. Are they going to be able to find a candidate that they all that three out of four of them will support? Um, I did talk to Supervisor Desmond about that, and he thinks there might be some moderate Democrat who him or Joel Anderson could get behind. Um, I mean, we're hearing a lot of names being floated. The one that has actually announced her candidacy prior to this whole scandal was Janessa Goldbeck, who is a Marine Corps veteran. She's a progressive Democrat. She ran for Congress against Sarah Jacobs. 
Um, so she's definitely in the mix, but we've also heard rumors of Monica Montgomery Step from the city council, Stephen Whitburn potentially. Um, so I think it's going to be really interesting to see what process they decide and then who ends up throwing their hat into the ring. And by the way, it could also be a combination. They could attempt the appointment process. And if that doesn't work out, then they can go to a special election. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing to to, to look for here is that it, it, this is a 30 point advantage Democratic seat by voter registration. Um, so the calculation from the Republican supervisors, Jim, uh, Jim Desmond and Joel Anderson, is relatively simple. You know, as 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 they as Jim Desmond told Bria, you know, they might maybe they're willing to deal and they're open to accepting a you know a moderate Democrat that that one or both of them could vote for. The question for the other two Democrats is why they would settle for that um, in the most uh, Democratic, you know, majority seat in the county. So th- I think the appointment process is going to be pretty, pretty complicated, and and um, I, I'm in- intrigued to watch it. But uh, but I, I could see the motive for it falling apart on both sides. One other thing I just wanted to quickly add to is, I mean, if we if we go into a special election, there's mm-hmm. obviously usually a lower voter turnout, which can mm-hmm. actually favor Republicans. And we've seen this happen in San Diego County before. Sometimes when there's a very crowded field of Democratic candidates that split the vote and there's just one Republican hanging out mm-hmm. on the ballot, sometimes that person can actually get the job. So it's yeah. not completely far-fetched. And that's what I think Joel Anderson and Jim Desmond are trying to calculate right now. They also have said that, you know, they don't like it when people from other parts of the county try to tell them what to do in their districts. And so they feel as though it would be a little hypocritical for to choose someone for District 4. And I think the Democrats, their philosophy as far as going for uh, an appointment process versus the special election would simply be to save all the money. And we did see recently with uh, Sheriff Bill Gore when he stepped down, they did appoint a sheriff, but it was somebody who said that they would not run for the position. So we have seen a similar process to this. But Michael, I, I want to get your thoughts quickly on something. You, you know, we, we hear a lot of talk from politicians about this. They're certainly plugged in. Do you get any sense of what the general public's reaction has been to this? I don't know if you have readers that are writing into you, reading your columns, but what, what's your sense there? Well, I, I think, um, you know, Andy sort of captured it that a lot of people are very saddened. Um, uh, people, you know, people that that liked where Nathan Fletcher really led the county to, but you know, this is this is a, a threshold a lot of people can't cross, and you just can't ignore it. Um, you know, he very well, uh, nicely, you know, pointed out the, the difference I think in in the public mindset from the filler days to today. Uh, so he he doesn't get a a pass because you know we, we like his policies or we think he's a good guy. You know, I think people also just you know want to see what the reality, what what is real here. Um, you know, we we basically heard you know allegations on both sides. Um, it just will be be hard to say, but I, I don't think it, he's he's got a lot of support, uh, even from people who did like him. Um, certainly, the political folks, I think they'd be concerned about the damage uh, it does to others uh, if he stuck around. Um, I think that was just guessing might have been part of the calculation of why he decided to announce his resignation so soon, um, I think, you know, it potentially could have been uh, damaging to Lorena Gonzalez-Fletcher, you know, in her own right. I mean, to be honest, she's a more powerful political figure than than he is. But, uh, you know, to have to to wither all this for some time in a Filner-like situation could have been a problem for her and uh, other Democrats, I think. 
I'm sort of curious how you all approach a story like this, a big political story, but also one that does include some of the disturbing allegations. Uh, anyone that wants to jump in here, how do you go about covering something like this? Very carefully. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's you just have to keep in mind that there are, these are people we're talking about. Um, you know, there. I, I, one thing I would add to to uh, Michael's point about how how this is being received. Nathan Fletcher during the pandemic, based on the nature of the pandemic, made a lot of enemies. Uh, there's a lot of people who uh, are whose involvement in local public policy begins and ends with hating Nathan Fletcher because of the uh, uh, policies that he was responsible for uh, that were pandemic related. And those people are really having a good time right now. Um, and so, you know, I think between all of that, uh, you got to keep in mind that 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 he remains a person, that Lorena Gonzalez remains a person, uh, that and that and that Miss Figueroa is, you know, she's filing a lawsuit here, but she's, you know, she's describing traumatic things that she says to that happened to her, and uh, people in your audience are probably going to be people who have their own experiences with these sort of things. So, you know, it, it just has to be taken seriously and soberly. Yeah, and one other point on this that in terms of the reaction, uh, we talked about how. People had come out before we knew about the lawsuit, uh, you know, encouraging Nathan Fletcher, giving him credit for having the courage. I think a lot of those people felt burned, to be honest with you, mm -hmm. and, and they've said so um, in, in diplomatic ways online and on Twitter and things like that. But, you know, it, it's sort of like, OK, you know, did he leave them hanging out to dry? He knew what was coming and Lorena Gonzalez Fletcher knew what was coming. Uh, and you would figure that you say you're going to seek treatment for this, that people are going to be supportive. So, uh, you know, I, I think they're they're feeling wronged about that. Yeah, I would I would say like you know just covering covering politics in general. Um, there are so many people who have an agenda and they have enemies. And so for me, I mean, on a weekly basis, I have people calling me or texting me trying to push some sort of story that's going to bring down someone who's you know in opposition to them in some way. So I think when you're covering a beat like this, you always have to take everything that everybody says with a grain of salt. And until papers are actually filed. Um, a lot of these things can just be rumors um, or you don't know exactly where they're going to go. So I think you just have to be really, you know, as Andy said, cautious and conservative with the way that you report things and wait until there's an actual action that's sort of tangible as opposed to people just saying things. So, guys, we've covered a lot here, but this story will keep unfolding in the weeks and months ahead. So before we go, I want to get all your final thoughts. You know, at this point, what are you going to be watching for moving forward? And Priya, we can start with you. Well, I think a lot of people, I mean, I mentioned rumors and, and tips that I get all the time. They're wondering if perhaps there could be other accusers that could come forward, especially given the fact that he was a professor at UCSD for so long. He had a lot of young female students. Um, so that's something that I think everyone's going to be watching pretty closely. Is this going to go to a trial when, um, you know, who might be called up to be a witness? That could be extremely interesting, especially from the MTS side of things. And then I do think the way that MTS handles this moving forward um, in the lawsuit, they talked about how there aren't good policies in place at MTS to sort of prevent sexual harassment. And I asked them about that in the press conference on Thursday. Um, you know, are you guys taking any sort of immediate action to implement new policies or maybe fix the policies you have in place? And they kept giving me the same answer over and over again was basically, which is that 
we're going to wait for the investigation. We're having meetings. We're going to address the things that have, that need to be addressed, but they haven't really done anything yet. So I think those are all the things that I'm going to be watching for. Michael, Andy? Following up on what Pira said, that, that certainly the focus, uh, much of the focus is on MTS and you know what they knew when they knew it and, and did they do anything about it? Um, and also whether we get to the bottom of why was uh, Ms. Figueroa fired, as she puts it, um, you know, oddly on the same day, or, or was it intentionally on the same day that Nathan Fletcher announced his candidacy for the state Senate seat? That just that that seems like just very odd, and uh, the, the, I don't know if there's ever going to be an explanation to that. But I think also that that people, like I said, people want to find out more about it. Hopefully, get to the bottom of this. Maybe we never quite will, as uh, Andy pointed out that. A lot of times when they release the results of these investigations, they they hold some stuff back. But I think that that in particular the 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 negotiations are, are fascinating. Whether that's the most vital things, but that okay, did Figueroa and her attorney really seek millions of dollars? I mean, you know, I can't put a price tag on what she went through, but that seems like you know an awful lot of money. Now maybe that's just a negotiating position. Maybe that didn't even happen. Who knows? But I think there's that, and again, uh, it doesn't mitigate anything, but but just, I think people want to know, were, were these consensual interactions, as Nathan Fletcher said, or, or or not? You know, we have to take her at face value, and and again, that doesn't, you know, he, he was in a position of power, so that doesn't totally minimize things, but I, I how that all ends up, it, it may change what the settlement is, for all I know, I, I just don't know, but... Uh, so I think just basically the results of the investigation is what we're going to be looking for. And Andy, you have the final word. To me, all eyes right now are on NTS. I think the the simple question about uh, why Ms. Figueroa was fired, who knew what and when, when that decision was made. Um, can they substantiate the idea that this was simply performance related and that they followed their standard uh, procedures for, for uh, terminating an employee? Um, all of that, you know, I, I mean, this is what something I said last week was, boy, if if it really is coincidental that they were simply uh, laying off an underperforming employee to improve the performance of their transit agency, and it just so happened that unbeknownst to them, that same person had been having an affair with the chair of the board um, that uh, included consensual interactions in the conference room of the uh, agency board boardroom. Um, boy, that is a remarkable coincidence and bad, bad luck for that agency. I, you know, a, 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 you know, tr truly remarkable uh, set of circumstances. We want to say one last thing just regarding the performance concerns. Um, yeah. One thing that's been brought up by a lot of sexual assault survivors is that, yeah. you know, that could have really impacted her work yeah. performance if she was, in fact, being harassed by her you know, uh, someone who was in a position of authority over her. So um, I think that's another thing where we're going to have to wait and see what comes out because she claims that her employee reviews were always her annual reviews where she got above average marks and they're claiming that there were performance concerns. But given the nature of the circumstances, if they're true, perhaps it's reasonable for her to have some sort of performance issues if she's dealing with all of this in the background. Yeah, I mean, her exact uh, allegations include citations of events that happened on the job. You know, so if you if your performance suffered because those things were happening to you while you were working, uh, that that might not be that hard to under to imagine or understand why that would be the case. Um, so yeah, I think those are all the things. And then uh, beyond that, if there are other women who come forward, and as as Priya has said, that 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 happens in situations like this. 
what does that say about the county? Does the county bear any responsibility there? Is there a public facing angle about the about their behavior, their uh, handling of of uh, concerns like this? And then UCSD as well. Um, so I think there's a lot of uh, public agencies that have uh, potential uh, liability or questions to answer uh, for the public right now. We're going to have to end it there for this week's edition of KPBS Roundtable, and I want to thank our guests, NBC7's Priya Shreether, Michael Smolens from the San Diego Union-Tribune, and the voice of San Diego's Andrew Keats. Keep in mind, we'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show. You can leave us a voicemail at 619-452-0228. You can also email us at roundtable at kpbs.org. And on last week's show, we had a discussion about San Diego's proposal to ban public camping. That's an effort to reduce the number of homeless encampments. We asked for your thoughts, and here's some of what you had to say. Hi, my name is Kelsey. Uh, I'm a resident in Oceanside, um, and I'm calling about the discussion on homelessness here in San Diego County. Um, We see it every single day, and, and as I see it, with my own eyes and interact with these people on my own, I wonder how much of it is a houselessness problem and how much of it is really like a mental health and addiction problem. Yeah, I agree with the ban. The ban is good as long as those people have a place to go. I think we have a couple of other things that we need to probably address as a city, state, and overall, because um, San Diego is obviously a tourist destination. And we don't want to have those shelters right downtown displaying our homeless problem to the tourists because that is a distraction and it's not good for tourists to keep coming and that revenue and all that is impacted. So my, I'm in Chula Vista, East Lake. My name is Rohan and just a couple of thoughts. Thanks. Hi, my name is Trish. I want to give it to you from a different perspective. I'm actually somebody who is living in my car. Um, and you all speak about, you know, the shelters, the shelters. I would like one of you to try to get into a shelter. And if you do, if you're lucky enough, see what happens in there. It is worse inside the shelters than it is on the street. Hello, my name is Christine, and I live in North Park. My frustration has been that so many of the buildings that they are putting up in North Park are luxury apartments. My opinion is we don't need that, and... I suggest that the city, instead of banning homeless people living on the street, why not ban luxury apartment building until we have caught up with affordable housing development here in town? Thank you. You can listen to our show anytime as a podcast. KPBS Roundtable airs on KPBS FM at noon on Fridays and again on Sunday. That's at 6 a.m. Roundtable is produced by Andrew Bracken, and Adrian Villalobos is our technical director. I'm your host, Matt Hoffman. Thanks so much for being here with us, and have a great weekend.
KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego Art Power is presenting Indian fusion band Red Bharat, mixing Indian bhangra rhythms, hip-hop, and funk music, March 23rd at the Epstein Family Amphitheater. Tickets and information about upcoming concerts and events at artpower.ucsd.edu.